When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Peter, welcome back. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for manning the helm and covering for me last week. I am back. I'm back from COVID. I'm back from a family trip to Ireland, which went great. I'm apparently back from all of my NBA research being just sidelined while you guys talked for, what was it, two or three hours about all of your NBA picks? It was a very pleasant two or three hours, wasn't it, Tom? It felt like two or three minutes, you know? It was just time flew when you're having fun. It wasn't contentious at all. The chemistry, just the the comfort with each other, the depth and level of analysis. The average intelligence of the discussion went way up because I was gone for a week. There's no question about that. But I wanted to ask you guys, did you guys pick Longshot MVP? We, we kind of threw it in there at the end, maybe. We were like, pick a favorite guy from one of these teams that we've dissected relentlessly, right? Are you trying to say that you have a Longshot oh, no. MVP pick you'd like to share with the audience here? Well, this goes back to our USC problem. How long a shot does it have to be to count as an underdog pick. It's like the definition of pornography. We'll know it when we see it. I can go plus 1,400 or I can go plus 5,000. Which one would you rather have? I'd like to hear both, Tom. Yeah. Because I want to ridicule you about the plus 1,400 Giannis pick or whatever. Yeah, 1,400 seems way too short. No, Giannis is plus 600. Oh. No, I, I just started looking at players and there's a guy who's 23, whose minutes, shots, and efficiency and also offensive, defensive, rebounding, and steals have all gone up in every year that he's been in the league. And his team's wins have gone up. And I think that's the only guy you can say that about. And of course, so the plus 1400 is John Morant. I mean, it's just- Oh, here we go. I don't yeah. understand why more people- Wow, what a little known superstar. Okay, so there you go. I gave you some stats. Plus 5,000 at plus 5,000, a pick I'm also totally behind. Carl Anthony Towns at plus 5,000. Don't hate it. Plus. 5,000. This guy was already fifth in win shares last week, one of only half a dozen players with 10 win shares in the whole league. He's already great. I mean, I think he's the second best shooting big man. He calls himself the greatest shooting big man of all time. That's not true. I mean, there's Dirk, but I think he might be number two. I mean, all time. All he really has to do is have a Carl Anthony Towns season with a few extra easy chances because Rudy Gobert is now on the team and the team to do well. And it's a regular season vote, right? It's not yep. how far they get yep. in the playoffs. So I think they're going to win that division, even though betting lines have Denver slightly ahead of them on win totals. And if he has a really good Carl Anthony Town season plus one, you know, plus, plus, plus a little bit, he's already, he's already started the personality comeback that people love in MVPs, right? He's going to look like he's breaking out and leading a team that's already darn good to being much better. It's all, it's all there. And he's, and, and, and who else is at plus 5,000? It's kind of crazy. Here's why I love this. First of all, I've already bet on the Timberwolves under win total. I think it was 49 and a half. Really? So I'm already against you. Secondly, I'm not even sure he'll be the biggest breakout star on that team. Talking about Kermit Wiltz, obviously. Anthony Edwards taking a step forward. And third, I think for the voters who look at just raw stats, because Rudy Gobert is there and, and 
Towns is going to be floating more and more in guarding fours. I think his rebound numbers will go down. I think his defensive, you know, raw stats like blocks will go down. So I don't think anyone's going to look at him as an MVP. So yes. But his scoring will go up. Yeah, sure. He'll score a lot of points. Maybe. And that's that's the number one thing that you the casual stats scanners look at. I already see a Luca narrative emerging for MVP this year. Yeah, well, Luca's clocking in at what? Plus 260 or something? No, no, no. I'm not saying as an underdog. I just feel like it's almost like a That's fake. way worse than anything I've ever said about. No, 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 no. What wait, I'm saying wait, wait. is I feel like On the it's underdog, a fan I just want to say, just All for right. the record, I want to make sure we're recording, that on the Underdogs podcast, talking about NBA MVP possibilities, Jordan Brenner has stated, I want to make sure I have this right, I see a Luca narrative emerging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 2021 called and wants it's not even underdog back then back. That's right. I'm explaining why an underdog won't win because it feels like they're ready, ready to give him sort of a short lifetime achievement award. But please go on. One week away. And we were how many minutes before we got into a Peter Jordan bickering fight about semantics? Semantics or some antics from Peter? Some antics. Some antics. Hate the shoot. Paul, the runner. Loose ball. It's good. With 4.4 to go. Shannon. Don't want to foul. Shannon from the corner. And it's over. Gonzaga. The slipper still fits. The cry goes up both far and near for underdog. 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 Joe Namath, number 12, has been the one big sideline. He's come down here and he says the Jets are going to win. In fact, he doesn't even predict it. He says, I guarantee a Jet victory. Oh, my kid, I ain't even in the guys' league. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. Underdog. Underdog. They're bigger, faster, stronger, more experienced, and on paper, they're just better. Oh my goodness! The longest shot has won the Kentucky Derby! Red strike and a stunning, unbelievable upset! Shock it all in college basketball! Underdog! Underdog! I expect you boys to go out there and not take this team lightly because I promise you, they're going to come at you with everything they've got. What is that? Going the distance with Creed? 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to Schultz. Five seconds left in the game. You believe in miracles? Yes! Hey, George, the dream is alive. Speed of lightning, roar of thunder, fighting all who rob or plunder. Underdog, underdog, underdog. Well, then I guess there's only one thing left to do. Win the whole fucking thing. Welcome to Underdogs. I'm Tom Haverstrow, and I'm sing-songing the intro for no good reason. We already did a theater episode. We did Broadway. Don't have to do it right now. What we do have to do is talk about... Major League Baseball playoffs. That is a big topic that we're going to have to hit here because unfortunately the Yankees have survived Jordan Brenner and Peter Keating, my co-host here. They survived us? Yes. Oh boy. Jordan, you're you're hedging on your Yankees fandom this year and it's been very both sides. We are going to talk our NFL picks later and I do think that we have some New York themed teams to be talking about there the j-e-t-s and the giants wow but playoffs three of the 100 win teams in the nl are out the dodgers the bravos 
and the Mets. Yes, your beloved Mets, Peter, all out. And I'm wondering to myself, let's talk about it. Why is this happening? Like, is it is it because of the new playoff structure? I feel like that is one of the narratives out there is that the new playoff system is creating more variance and the best teams aren't surviving because of that new structure. This early success of underdogs in the postseason led to some very sloppy, lazy narratives. Oh, yeah. Even with me out of town. Now, in the wild card round, did the new system introduce more chaos by having a best of three series? Of course. So can you say the Braves, Dodgers, and Mets may have been victims of a best of three series, fine. We knew that going in. The sloppy, lazy narrative was the people who then jumped on the Padres and Phillies winning their division round series and determining, well, that's because of the new format. They the the better the, the better teams had a layoff and they got upset. Oh yeah, the layoff theory. Okay. False. Ken Rosenthal wrote a nice piece in the athletics basically saying it's too early to blame the new format. And sure enough, you finish the American League series, both teams with home field won, the Astros and the Yankees. Furthermore, if you look back at the history of the Major League Baseball playoffs since we've gone to two wildcard teams, you will see that two teams who are underdogs winning a division series is not uncommon. No, it happens all the time. How how historically, good Lord, I mean, how has, how ahistorical do you have to be to think that, that, I mean, do you think that having extra rounds of games, which we've had for years and years, is having more of an effect this year just because a couple of teams happen to win? I mean, this happens all the time. So this year, in the division series, mm-hmm. the home, team with home field advantage went two and two. Last year, the team went one and three. Oh. Two and two the year before, four and oh the year before, two and two before that, two and two, two and two, one and three, two and two, one and three. In fact, since 2012, when we went to the second wildcard team in each league, the team with home field advantage in a series, and that's the division series, the league championship series, and the world series, is 33 and 30. So basically, it's what Billy Bean said all along, about the postseason, it's a crapshoot because baseball is a sample size sport and the shorter a sample you boil it down to, the more random, weird things happen. And you saw it in the first round with the best of three series. You see it a little less, but more in a division series with the best of five. And at least with the best of seven, you have some sort of a truer outcome, period. That's all this is. The minute you have a series that's less than some large number, right? The minute you have a series, this can happen. In 1954, the Cleveland Indians, who won more games than any, in a single season than any team in American League history, got swept in the World Series by a team, the New York Giants, that had Willie Mays, but was completely inferior to the Indians. In ni- as soon as you have divisions, people blame this on the wild card. No, as soon as you have divisions, you raise the possibility that a team like the 1973 Mets, who won 82 games, will beat a team that was far better than them, the Big Red Machine, right? Mm-hmm. In 1988, the Dodgers lost to the Mets every game but one time. They played them during the regular season. Mm-hmm. That, that team, go look them up. You won't even remember half the players on that team. It sucked. But 
They eked out a really crazy series of lucky wins against the Mets in the playoffs. And then Kirk Gibson hit that home run on one leg and they have become legends. But they got there because they were able to sneak by a better team in the playoffs. That's years before wildcard teams. And then you're right. Last year, underdogs underdogs did really well. So why are we hearing about it this time? I guess because these – Because we need something to talk about. Well, because these big market kind of – Big teams with huge payrolls, with famous players who won 100 games, lost. And probably because the Yankees in Houston and the Dodgers basically coasted. There was nothing interesting about them for two or three months. And then immediately upon paying attention to them again, oh, the Dodgers are eliminated. And so are the Mets and the Braves. And and I'll tell you, if the Yankees had managed to lose to the Guardians, I don't know mm-hmm. if you guys were watching the playoffs, ser- the series closely, or whether you just couldn't take any more of Bob Costas. But there was a point where C- Costas discussed the statistic that we brought up a couple of weeks ago, which was, in retrospect, teams that hit more home runs almost always beat their opponents, right? And and by the time he gave this, by the time Ron Darling gave the statistic, it was something like twenty-eight to two, and then Costas said. Nevertheless, there's a lot to be said for stringing together hits in the postseason. No, there isn't. It's harder to string together hits in the postseason. But if the only bad thing about Cleveland winning, if it had happened, would have been that we would have had to hear that too. Oh, look, the big bad Yankee home run machine lost to a bunch of punch punch and Judy hitters. Well, no, actually, Stanton and Judge hit home runs in game five, Mm -hmm. despite the fact that we had to see their small sample size stats flashed on the TV all the time. Judge is two for 16 in the the postseason. Do you know how many times Judge has gone two for 16 during the season? I'll bet you 20 or 30 times. So they show these numbers, they pontificate them about them like it's 1921 or 1909 more accurately. None of them come true. And then we move on to saying the same thing. The underdogs don't even exist in the baseball postseason. It seems like I want to say. I think, I think it's a lot of um, preconceived notions and confer- confirmation bias is like, if you want Aaron judge to go cold and strike out a bunch as a leadoff hitter and prove that it's a whole fraudulent system and money ball doesn't work and home runs in the three true outcome theory of baseball is all just a bunch of kooky analytical nerds in their basements. Um, ruining baseball, you want to seek out those stats to confirm those biases. I'm not saying that's what Costas is doing or what Ron Darling or whoever the the commentators are doing with this, but I also think that like small sample size, you mentioned it. Um, we talked about it on this podcast about how momentum isn't real and that like if you want to make picks about who's going to um, – you know, advance in the playoffs, don't focus on how hot the teams are or how cold the teams are going into the postseason. And it reminds me the Phillies, uh, I think they won something like 89 games in the regular season. They're now in the NLCS up in the series. And this is a team that stumbled into the postseason with a 14 and 17 record uh, at the start of September one uh, with a negative run differential. And they're a couple games, a couple wins away from the World Series. And then on the other side, I think you could talk yourself into the Padres being killed by the Dodgers. Because if you looked at their season series statistics, and this this has an impact. This actually is predictive in the NBA and less so in recent years with all the injuries clouding the picture. But the Padres were 5-14 and 14 against the Dodgers in the regular season. 5-14 and 14 with a minus 62 run differential against the Dodgers, and then they win the series. Um, I, I, you guys are better baseball experts than I am. What uh, I, I would hardly call myself an expert even in the first place, but is like series, in-season series data, is that predictive at all? 
of a short series. The Padres record against the Dodgers. Should we care about a, a team's record in the regular season against their postseason opponent? Yes, we should care about it because it might indicate something Jordan's talked about, which is that a team might have weak points against another team's strong points. So they might match up really poorly, right? They might be mm. really weak against left-handed pitching, going up against a team with three lefties in the rotation, right? However, on average, I think that all goes out with the laundry because you're talking about a three-game or five-game series. Can I, Jordan, I know you want to, let me just ask, let me just point out one thing about the Phillies and the Padres, which is to say the Phillies, right? Bryce Harper, Rayo Muto, Schwarber, Zach Wheeler, the Padres, Soto, Darvish, Snell. These teams are not the Tampa Bay Rays. Philadelphia had a payroll of $229 million a season. The Padres, $212 million a season. And all of the players I just named, all these key all-star level players, are outside acquisitions, either trades or free agents. So these teams are playing in the same pool as the Yankees the Yankees have a really high payroll, but the Yankees and definitely the Braves, um, they just happen to bubble up to the top this time around. It's a great point. And I think what I've noticed, and I've been particularly frustrated actually by seeing what fellow Yankee fans are saying either at the game when I was at game one against the Guardians or on Twitter. Not true Yankee fans. Not true Yankee fans. You mean saying to you personally? Were you offended? I just Stuff I hear, stuff I read, it's, oh, oh, it's, oh, it's, oh. it's so stupid. I thought they were like saying, Brenner, you suck. I mean, that would be terrible. Well, that's that would... just in my everyday <laughs> life, wherever I go. What are they screaming? Fire Cashman or Bench Stan? Fire Cashman, Fire Boone. What I find to be the case in baseball, even more than the other sports, is People aren't comfortable with the idea that some things are beyond control and that they're looking for some element of control and thus blame. So that's why you still hear the stuff about so-and-so wanted it more. So-and-so is playing harder. They've got to want it tonight. It's why you hear managers being blamed for batting someone sixth instead of seventh because, or shake up the lineup or do this because people are desperate for someone to assert some control in what's uncontrollable, okay? My fandom for baseball has changed in recent years only in that I've come to appreciate the regular season more and really appreciate the length of time and what you learn about how your team is to be good over 162 games. And I've recalibrated my expectations in the postseason where I care about the results, but I also recognize that they are largely random and not an indictment or endorsement on the overall build of a team. Hashtag trust the process. It's more like give in to the randomness of the process. Yeah. I just don't think you can plan for a team to be more or less successful. It'd be even more pronounced if you were a Dodger fan, right? They've been unbelievable for the past 10 years. They've won one world series in a shortened season, but they've built teams that have won North of a hundred games multiple times. There's no flaw in their build. They just have gotten really unlucky. So can I ask you about that? Okay, so because yeah. all season long, you know, the Mets announcers are my TV room companions. You know, if I'm doing the budget or I'm doing laundry or whatever, they're all on the background. This got to be, this got to be the feel of a special season. And it was capped not so much by making the postseason, but by the fact that the Mets won 100 games, which they'd only done a couple of times, three times, I think, in their entire history. Now, the Yankees have won 100 games six times since, since 2000. You're right. The Dodgers have won 99 games a year, average, over the past 10 years, 104 of the past six, right? The Astros have won 100 games four of the past six years. There are teams, I'm looking at this list, 
the Nationals, even when they were the Expos, um, the Blue Jays, Colorado, the, um, they've never won 100 games in their history. The Pirates last did it 100 year, more than 100 years ago. The Royals have done it once in their whole history. The Twins and Tigers have done it once since 1971. What I used to think about this new financial system was that teams like the Dodgers and the Astros and the Yankees, when the ownership felt like it, were spending so much money that they could either, they could guarantee either they'd win enough games to either get into the postseason and give themselves a chance, or maybe you build a 111-win team, right? And you're so much better than the Padres that the odds actually are that you will crush them even in a five-game series because you're that much better, even though apparently that's kind of impossible. But the Astros and Dodgers, you know, maybe that's what they were out to do. And I was like, maybe they've broken the system by figuring out how to win 100 games every year. You know, money ball comes to the big market. Now I'm wondering if all of this attention being paid to quote unquote underdogs winning is going to shift the incentives the other way. And everybody who's smart may just say, no, we just need to, to win 89 games and make it into the playoffs. And if everything's random after that, we have as good a chance of being world champions as the Astros. Why spend the extra 80 million bucks? Why win the extra 15 games? I'm specifically extremely concerned that Mr. Steve Cohen will feel that way and think that there's no reason to spend $40 million a year on Jacob deGrom because if he signs everybody else, brings the Mets back and they win 90 games or 93 games, there's a good chance they'll be in the postseason. They'll still be better over 160 games than the Phillies and the Brewers. I love this idea. Yeah, it certainly doesn't guarantee you anything, right? Like you could sign, let's, let's compare this to another sport, basketball, right? If Tom, if I told you that I'm putting Giannis, Luca and Steph Curry on the same team, and they're not going to get hurt. Is anyone beating them? The Hornets, I'm thinking about it, no. Okay. Whereas if I told you that I'm putting the three best starting pitchers on the same team, the Mets almost had that, right? Let's say I'm, I'm telling you I'm giving you DeGrom, Scherzer, and Verlander. Verlander. Yeah. I'm still not anything close to a lock to win a series. In fact, Verlander got bombed in game one, and so did Scherzer. I like this idea of... Hey, the the key to winning the World Series is be worse. Like if you look at if you look at all these hundred and ten win teams losing in the in the playoffs and not advancing to the the conference semis, maybe some owners are gonna be like, yeah, let's let's just spend less on players because the Phillies they they're they got eighty nine wins. Why don't we just get a ninety wins and then we'll get farther in the playoffs? The only reason that doesn't work is because then you're on the margin for even making the playoffs. So you want some buffer. I know, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Jordan, the baseball season is a long season and the Phillies and the Padres are both examples of teams that fixed or tried to fix significant flaws during the season. I mean, the Phillies defense, which almost melted down on them and cost them a game yesterday, right? But but didn't, or I should say in the deciding game of the NL, the first game. Um, but their bullpen was among the worst in baseball. And now at this moment, they reassembled it to be among the best. Like if you can build a 90 win team, then during the season, figure out what you got right or wrong and reconfigure the parts that aren't working and actually become like a 91 or 92 win team, rather than spending a billion dollars to have what you think is a 108 win team at the beginning of the season. You know, sometimes I think like if you're a burglar and you're robbing a rich neighborhood, do you spend a lot of time figuring out what house to break into or do you just want to get into one house and take what's there? 
You know what I mean? You, you get into the postseason, you have a shot. So why not just build an 88-win team, not worry about being the Astros, and then pick up the left-handed bat or the, the, the multiple-inning you know, relievers that you need along the way? I think the incentives, is that's where the incentives are pushing now. What you're betting on is that chaos will work in your favor, which reminds me of a little engine that could the New York Giants. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Chaos. Yes, I saw this in the headline, fellas. We got to talk about the New York Giants. Jordan, you were there in person to watch the Bellinger Hive, the comeback, all of it. How was it? It was so much fun because, like, I think everybody in the crowd, anyone who's a Giants fan, realizes this team's not great. Right, they're they're still early in the process. Just that innocence of you guys are mid majors. Expectations are low. Results are outpacing expectations. We're playing with house money. It's all gravy. You look on. I at one point, I, you know, I was sitting behind the Giants bench and I looked on the sideline and there were like twenty names I didn't recognize. I used to know everybody: the backup, interior lineman, the seventh defensive back, and they've brought. There's been so much. <laughs> upheaval and overhaul that there are guys I just don't even know, but they are rotating players in and out. They're they're I don't know how they're staying close. They're getting outgained. And yet late in games, they're making big plays on both offense and defense. Every game they've played has been decided by eight or less. So one touchdown and two point conversion score. And they've won five of them. That everything we know about statistics say that's unsustainable. But it also does seem to point, as much as there's some probably some luck and randomness involved in that too, it certainly points to a, a coaching staff that has eliminated turnovers, eliminated penalties, has players playing hard even when they're down 10 points in the fourth quarter. And it's really exciting to see. My dad and I used to play a game where one of us would call out a uniform number and it would be the most obscure possible uniform number on the Giants from like 1986 to 1990. And the other one was would, would name the guy. So, you know, I got to the Bobby Abram or Andy Hedden levels. You could not do that with this year's team. Jordan is right. These guys are so anonymous. They're like playing for recognition, literally playing for recognition. I heard on the game broadcast that Daniel Bellinger leads all rookie tight ends in the number of snaps played. And I was like, that's phenomenal. Like we hit on a low round draft pick that we never heard of before. It's not really... That phenomenal. You probably get a good rookie tight end or two or three every year in the league. And that's probably about all it means, right? But the the level of depression, like I've cleaned out closets rather than I literally have cleaned out closets rather than watch the Giants over the last, what is it, four, five years now? And and they lost in the most dispiriting ways by getting crushed at the beginning, then playing stupid 
right? And mm. then getting crushed more steadily throughout games. And they were coached by these Martinets, these fake tough guys. Like, you know, I read a tweet that said, Joe Judge is on the beach right now, screaming at some little kid to pull his socks up. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly right. That is exactly what's going on right now. You know, like Joe Judge is like knocking the ice cream cone out of some kid's hand as we speak. And that, that kid probably plays for the Patriots. Um, so it's, it's, it's kind of enthralling, even though, you know, the whole smart part of your brain is saying, also, the week schedule helps. Have you looked at the next four games? Yeah, I was like, well, this is probably going to end really fast. And I'm like, oh, well. Yeah, Jordan's been on this the whole season. Maybe not against Jacksonville. And Jordan has also been on the, the, the idea that if you happen to bank a few satchels full of house money, it does buy you time to heal your injuries up. I mean, the Giants are missing, what, five wide, five of their top wide, five top wide receivers, you know, it gives you time to get healthy. Well, you can also just win before you get good. You get a couple wins, people buy in, you play better, you actually improve. And suddenly you may not have been what your record was at the beginning, but maybe by November you are. And there are actually stats on that. Like the Giants scoring differential in the last two minutes of the second quarter and of the game is so much better than it was under the last regime. They literally were outscored something like 85 to zero in the last two minutes of the first half over the previous two seasons because players stopped playing and coaches didn't know what they were doing. Neither of those things is true now. Guys, this is hardly the only NFL underdog story, and especially when you look at preseason win total. So are we just at a point where the margin between most teams is so small that week to week, Injury to injury, anything can happen. Yeah, and I think maybe it's the Giants, credit to the Giants for recognizing the, those slim margins. And like, we, yeah, we might not have big name players and we might not have some flashy, shiny players, but um, maybe we can actually leverage that sameness. We're like that everyone's at a level playing field, so let's create some chaos and get some wins out of this. Um, I'm going to reference a great story from the Ringers, uh, Benjamin Solak, who r- writes about the the New York Giants leveraging that chaos. And it just feels like the Giants are recognizing that like, hey, if we do some of the little things that can break open some some high variance and break open some some upside, let's do it. He has a paragraph in here, you know, showing a clip of like eight players aligning on them on top of each other in a in a in a defensive formation. Just be like, what is that? Oh, we were at the game looking at what the hell just happened. Yeah. It's like an eye formation on defense, right? And then after the games, the players are like, Yeah, that kept everybody awake. And I'm like, oh, interesting. So you want to hear something crazy, you guys? Yeah. Twenty-four of the thirty-two NFL teams are within a game of five hundred on either side. Mm. Either four and two. Two and four, three and three, or some variation like three, two and one. 24 of 32, 75% of the league is a win or loss away from being 500. I think it's an inverse thing of what you guys were talking about last week in the NBA. I think quite suddenly and unexpectedly, a few, a whole handful of teams that were expecting to continue to be very good with their current personnel for a few more years aren't. And so there are extra wins lying around the league from the the Packers and the Buccaneers and the Steelers all losing at least two or, you know, one or two more games than they should have. There are other teams gobbling those wins up. I'm also thinking of the teams that were supposed to be very, very bad, particularly Seattle and Atlanta, who I thought might have had the two worst rosters in the league. And they've been really feisty and difficult for teams and competitive. I, so I didn't expect, I guess that's what, that's what really gets me. I thought there were some really bad teams going into this year and I didn't expect them to 
be as competitive as, you know, not even, not even at the Giants and Jets level of success. Even Houston feels like they're in every game, right? They've only won one. That's right. My boys. Also a couple of teams that should be pretty good and probably will start winning more, but have had a whole bunch of horrendous close losses, including the Ravens and the Raiders, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's like half a dozen wins between them that they really should have and probably will get, but that other teams, you know, snatched away from them. The Raiders are one in four with a scoring differential of five points. Yeah. It's hard to do. The Giants are five and one with a score differential of like plus 14. Also hard to do. If you bet $100 on the money line for every team, you know, the team that would make you the most money so far? Yes, it's the Giants. But do you know who the number two team is? Is it the Jets? It's the Jets. Wow, yes. Which is a little nuts, right? Here's the paragraph from Solak. That weirdness fosters the great equalizer of professional sports. Chaos. By the way, this this just feels like a love letter to our podcast right here. And to giant killers. Yeah. yeah. When the giants, <laughs> no pun intended, line up on any given Sunday, they aren't as good as the opponent they're facing. So they try to cheese their way around the margins. They run stuff you haven't seen, stuff you haven't couldn't have prepared for. And some of these gadget plays might go horribly. But guess what? If Daniel Jones just dropped back and ran any old play that every team has seen before, there would be a pretty good chance of that going very horribly too. When the gadget plays work, they create explosive gains, fourth down conversions and touchdowns. The giants otherwise wouldn't have achieved by creating, by creating chaos. The giants are inviting more random rolls of the die and flips of the coin than the average NFL game has. All they have to do is get lucky and win a few coin flips, and suddenly they're winning football games. I mean, isn't this exactly what we've been saying about Giant Killers for two decades? Yes. And it should spark a coaching revolution. It won't. No. <laughs> it won't. This is a very, very, very conservative organization. I mean, they, an organization that drafted poorly and then had those below-average players run the same old boring stuff for at least five years. It took them going through Ben McAdoo, Pat Shermer, and Joe Judge to get to the point where they were willing to hand the reins over to somebody creative. It does make you have to realize that, you know, maybe some of these picks or some like, you don't have to try to make Daniel Jones work and be a, an MVP. You just have to uh, uh, acknowledge that here are his strengths and weaknesses. Here's our team strengths and weaknesses. Let's play into that. And so um, there's this other piece of the, the article that I wanted to cite here uh, where he says, the Giants need luck to win games, so they are playing a style of football to create it. On defense, the Giants lead the league in blitz percentage, high risk, but high reward for a defense that otherwise lacks the talent to generate a high reward on its own. This is a look they gave on the Ravens option running game on third down. Do you know what this is? I don't know what this is, as he writes. This is speaking <laughs> the gospel. Yes. Of Giant Killers, of the Underdogs podcast, is is recognizing your limits, recognizing what you're good at and trying to break open, finding that secret sauce and trying to maximize your chances of winning and having a high upside, high reward strategy if you're not very good. And it seems like the Giants have recognized they're not very good, but they can break open those margins and split them wide open in those end of second quarter, end of game scenarios. And it seems like it's working for them so far. And it's like little things like signing Landon Collins with the idea of playing at linebacker and just getting athletes and putting them in yes. particular packages yes. and situations right. to succeed. If you watch, again, it's, you really notice it when you're at the game, the number of substitutions and different personnel package groups they're using is there's constant guys coming in and out. You don't know who's in a wide receiver because I imagine they're, 
there are certain play designs that work for one guy versus the other. So it's about putting them in positions to succeed as best they can. And Saquon is the quarterback. Yeah. One thing you can see that's obvious is that in a lot of, a lot of times they're playing three linemen and three linebackers. And then there's guys in the back coming from somewhere, blitzing somewhere, doing something. So the Julian Love or whoever ends up being like, you know, the outside linebacker in these schemes. What's interesting to me is that neither Aaron Rodgers nor Lamar Jackson handled that very well. Like I thought Lamar was just going to be able to run 20 yards at a time whenever he wanted to against that defense. Look, there was a real stretch in the second half where they couldn't stop him. Yeah. And he was hitting Mark Andrews play after play. And then I don't know what happened in the last couple of drives. The Giants summoned something together. But let me ask you guys the big question. Now that we have all these successful underdogs, what the hell does it mean for our picks? <laughs> How do we decipher among so many tasty uh, options? Uh, I I really don't do well at buffets. I just end up eating everything. So <laughs> thankfully, I only have two plates that I can go and get uh, during this buffet of underdogs here this week. We don't have too many of the big ones, the heavy underdogs. We have my Carolina Panthers, or I guess they're Maze's Carolina Panthers, um, as the heavy dogs against Tom Brady coming up this Sunday. Jordan, you're extending your lead a little bit here. You had another big week. Maze, could you possibly go over the standings real quick? I love how Jordan always dishes these out. Yeah. Whoever's in first place never wants to mention how they're in first place. So after last week where we had four underdog wins, not just covers, wins, including the Steelers with a three-point victory, we've got Jordan at 15, Tom at 12, and Peter at 10. Yeah. Well, congratulations, Jordan. You have the number one pick this week, right? Yeah. And it's, you know, nothing jumped out at me early. And then I've, I, I got, I, I'm keep coming back to those pesky, scrappy Seattle Seahawks, who I don't think are a great team, but they, it feels like they're in every game. And the Chargers, man, have some issues. Losing Rashawn Slater and Bosa is just huge. And that offense is clearly not clicking in the same way. They're, you know, they, they held the Broncos terrible offense down, but I don't know if they're stopping anyone. So it's a home game. That's not really a home game because they have no crowd or home field advantage. So I like Seattle getting six points at the chargers this week with my first pick. Interesting. That was my number one pick. I mean, I think that Seattle. Oh, damn. Can I change it then? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Get out, get out. I mean, I think Seattle continues to play like a 500 team, right? I mean, they are, they are allowing Huge number of yards per play on defense, but they're gaining just as many on offense. They've got unexpectedly good quarterback play. They're not they're not losing close games for no reason like they were last year. The Chargers coach has to be worth a couple of points for the Seahawks, right? You're, you're not a Brandon Staley fan? Uh, he's aggressive. He's into analytics. Is he? <laughs> I know. I know. He says he is. I'd like. I like. I, I'm not sure if he's soundly into analytics. So we can discuss that another time. I just like the pick. That's a great pick. It's a lot of points. It's a lot of points for a team that's been playing as well as Seattle. Well, Tom, you didn't say this would be your top pick, so that means you're getting your first pick with with pick number two. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad you took Seattle and took them off the board because uh, if you actually look at the last four weeks, I believe in this draft, in the underdogs draft, the number one pick has been <laughs> losers. <laughs> And actually, if you look, uh, did some research here. If you look at the season-long drafting, the slot that has performed the worst in this underdogs weekly dog picks really, is Tom? the number one pick. Really? Are you sitting around figuring out how to fade the underdog underdog drafters? I might have a trade here next week if I have the number one pick. It's blowing my mind. 
I might trade down off of the number one pick and, and maybe find my Jason Tatum. Which spot is drafted is picked worst? The worst is the number one slot and the best is the number four slot. All right. Real quick, we should probably go over what the options are for those listening. So you've got the Packers by five at Washington. You've got Dallas favored by seven at home against the Lions. You've got Carolina getting 11 points at home against Tampa. You've got the Ravens favored by six and a half against Cleveland. The Bengals are six-point favorites at home against Atlanta. By the way, if I told you at the beginning of the season that the Jets at Denver would be a pick'em game. That's crazy. Crazy, right? You got the Raiders are favored by seven at home against the Texans. We obviously already mentioned the Seahawks at Chargers. Pittsburgh is getting seven at Miami on Sunday night. And on Monday night, the Bears are getting eight at New England. So you got a lot lot to choose from, Tom, including some uh, extra bonus picks. Where are you going? With the number two pick of weeks, are we in week seven already? Week seven underdog picks. I'm going to go with the Atlanta Falcons plus six and a half. Oh, yeah. Cincinnati, uh, number one on my board. Um, They're six and oh against the spread this season. They've covered in each of the six games. I think that continues. And here's why normally when you see a team overperforming or outperforming their expectations, like the Falcons have each and every week, you might think that Vegas would overcompensate and say, Hey, we got to really take this team seriously. They're the real deal. Now the record might not be great, but against the spread, they're six and zero this year, but they're still six and a half point underdogs at Cincinnati. Now I looked this up according to NBC sports edge tool that teams coming off a six game win streak against the spread. So they cover in six straight games are eight and two over their last 10 instances of being a dog. So being an underdog six and a half points at Cincinnati, that's actually a lot of value in my opinion. Not only are they six and six Oh and Oh against the spread this season, but being six and a half point underdogs, they tend to do very well in these circumstances. So I'm going with Atlanta. Can we get a ruling? Because I'm seeing this as six at DraftKings, not six and a half. We get an official ruling from Prime Minister Mays. It's six. I still like it. Six Atlanta Falcons at Cincinnati. They're my pick here. So you are arguing the overcompensation hasn't happened. Hasn't happened yet. Because there are only four teams since 1978 that have started the season 7-0 and against the spread. So you're going to say the Falcons are one of those history-making teams that keep rising to the occasion at least enough to cover because the market hasn't responded to them efficiently yet. Yes, that's my that's my theory. Well, they were my number two pick, so that kind of <laughs> that, that, that kind of stinks. I, so I agree. I agree. I agree with all of that. For different reasons, maybe. Okay. No, no, no. I mean, I, I think it's, it's interesting. I thought going into the season, I saw whatever the last preseason game was that Atlanta played and that was a game I've, I've talked about a couple of times where the announcers were striving to say something other than there was no talent on Atlanta's roster. You know, they're talking about different substitutions they might want to. And I thought they looked awful, but they they played really tough. Um, OK, so I have two picks, right? You sure do. If I took Carolina last week against the Rams, why not with a bigger spread Wow. Oh, dear God. Against a worse team. Robbie Anderson's gone. That's right. They gotten rid of that distraction, that cancer yeah. on the team. <laughs> oh the man God. who dared to speak his mind. It's 11 points against a team that's flopping and floundering. And Brady's weapons look slow. The defense looks erratic. I mean, this is not, I mean, how are the Bucks getting 11 points? I, I mean, even if Carolina is the worst team in the league. Peter, 
DJ Moore doesn't even know Jacob Eason's name. <laughs> he said, it doesn't matter who the quarterback is. Baker, PJ, Sam, <laughs> yeah. that other guy, that other guy, the other guy. The other guy. <laughs> it's like when they had the, the early credits on Gilligan's Island. Remember they said, here's the, the skipper. What was it? Gilligan, the skipper too. And they said, and the rest, just the rest. They don't know. They don't know anybody. They don't know anybody. Where do these references, how do these things jump into your mind? It's truly impressive. And the rest, who's the other guy? 11 points at home. This has to flatten out a little bit sometime. I will go with the biggest spread on the board again. Plus, I need to get back in this uh, in this contest. I'm five points behind. We're looking for the big win. If you think there's anything left to Tampa Bay's once vaunted defense, just go look at the go look at the couple of drives they gave up after Mitch Trubisky came back in off the bench and you know led the Steelers to two long drives against Tampa Bay. They looked horrible. Um, I don't think anything's going right with that team. And I don't think Brady is going to write it all by himself. All right, enough of that. Carolina plus 11, right? Do I get 11 and a half? Has that line moved at all? I see 11. All right. So I get 14 just for the hell of it, since all you guys are skeptical. <laughs> no, no, I'm not giving you that. All right. And then, oh, it really pains me to not be able to take Detroit against Dallas. You know, I'm rooting for the Lions because they were my pick in the, and the wins uh, pool. and um, But Detroit may have the worst defense in the NFL. And Dak Prescott is coming back. So oh, I'm going to fade the public. I'm going to try to pull a Sheridan. I'm going to go, even though it's a team playing against a team that just lost. I'm going to go with the commanders amidst all of their scandals, getting five against Green Bay. The slogan here is, Heineke, not as terrible as you think. <laughs> <laughs> That's really all, which I do believe. It's all you could bring up. Yeah. But it is basically all I have to say about that game. 39% of public bets are on Washington. All right, Haberstro, where are you going? You can guess where I'm going with this one. Oh, don't do it. Houston plus seven. Damn it. That was my pick. Oh. Houston also cashing in against the spread. They cover more often than not. I think they're better than advertised. And Damian Pierce is a monster. Um, I think they're going to cover here may not win, but I think they're going to cover at Las Vegas seven points. Is that seven? Yeah. And four and one against the spread, including three and O oh on the road. That's right. So I'm going to go with Houston Texans plus seven. I'm not getting the boost here because it's not seven and a half, but I will take Houston anyway. Go Texans. Oh, this is terrible. I, I had that one lined up, ready to go. I got to recalibrate now. Screw it. We'll go Lions plus seven. Yeah, that feels like the safest pick here. I'm hoping for some injury luck, maybe a backdoor cover. I don't feel good about any of these games. Belichick versus Fields. I don't have a lot of faith in Pittsburgh right now, and I think Miami's pissed off and their offense is a juggernaut. Let's go Detroit, even though the Cowboys may score 72 points. <laughs> yeah. I think all of us would have been comfortable with picking Seattle or Atlanta, right? Those are kind of interesting and kind of compelling dogs that we all could believe in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We've got like more than half the season left and it seems like, uh, Jordan, you've figured something out, but the, the hesitation on that sixth pick is giving me hope that I can get back into this. Yeah. Those are the picks. Next week, I think we're going to have to talk about Tennessee. We're going to have to talk some college football, mm. uh, some Cinderella teams. We thought we could maybe identify the Cinderella football teams that maybe could crash the playoff party. And it seems like Tennessee, 
Maybe they get their goalposts back in time. <laughs> Maybe they're the team. So we'll talk about some college football. Uh, we'll see what happens this weekend in the NFL. The NBA season is here. I am on board with just about every one of those uh, picks, Peter. Carl Anthony Towns, I think if the, if the Timberwolves do win the number one seed, I think he has a shot. But I think the newcomer is going to get that award if that were to be the case, Rudy Gobert. And I think just the market loves Anthony Edwards after his movie appearance. And I think Carl Anthony Towns being the one who's been there for so long, I don't know if he's going to get the credit that he deserves if they do get the number one seed. So I love the pick as, you know, in terms of value, we'll see what happens here, but enjoy your weekend, everybody. Enjoy. Now, wait, when you said his movie appearance, are you talking about Anthony Edwards in Revenge of the Nerds? That's like an old movie reference, guys. The actor, completely different person, Anthony Edwards, who later was in ER, had his first starring role in Revenge of the Nerds. Were you guys even born in the 80s? The only thing that needs to be hospitalized are Peter's references. <laughs> Do you have another one? Do you have another pick to put on the record? I have my over and unders if you want them for the teams. I have the Knicks over 38 and a half wins. Homer, take ah. on. No, 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 no. I think that number is really soft. I think people are looking at it like, oh, Ten seed. they're like a play-in team. And so we'll give them that number. But who did they lose? They added Jalen Brunson. Julius Randle seems like he's back to wanting to play intensely and well and on the rebound. I think Toppin and Barrett are likely to improve. And who'd they lose? Nerland's Noel. Are they better than Cleveland? Are they better than Atlanta? Yes, there's more talent. There's more talent as currently on the roster. Are they better than Toronto? No. So they're like the 10th seed in the East. I just said that they have more than 38 and a half wins of talent on the team. Gonna enjoy every Knicks loss. Next. I love, and I think one of you may have already explained this, but I'm not changing just because of what you guys said last uh, last week. I love Golden State at over 51 and a half. The only thing stopping them from blowing by that number, the only thing from stopping that number from being higher is people think that they have no motivation. Oh, they have a lot of motivation. Yep. Um, Cosine. You know, when people call Steph Curry the greatest shooter of all time, that's like the number of 51 and a half. It's a backhanded compliment, right? Yep. Steph better. Also, they, they want the, uh, as high a seed as possible because they're old. And also, they want to prove that Draymond hasn't blown up the team. So give me, give me them. And I have one more. Charlotte under 33 and a half. Oof. I actually like this one. Last I saw, uh, Gordon Hayward's always injured. Miles Bridges hearing for three felony domestic violence charges. He's not under contract, my friend. Not a member of their team. Well, they're not going to have him is the point. Even if he wasn't arrested. Okay, so where's the young talent on the team? LaMelo Ball, who plays no defense. I think this team is prime to join the tanking parade, even though they're rated or listed at a level higher than the teams who are projected to win in the 20s. This team is easily as bad as a bunch of the teams who are going to actively trying to be tanking. And by mid-year, they will be trying to also. They could easily shut down LaMelo the way yeah. OKC did with Shea Gildas-Alexander. He's already hurt. He's already hurt. So, um, you know, it doesn't take 
a bad, a bum ankle at the start of the season is a very bad sign for your long-term prospects that season. So Tom, how many Hornets games will you be attending this year? Quite a bit. I want to get back into the swing of things and going to Hornets games. Who knows? They might be a Muggsy Bogues day or something, you know? The James Booknight news is awful. The LaMelo stuff, the Miles Bridges stuff, the offseason with the coaching staff. It's all been, and, and as, as the people in Charlotte have said, it's like, it's as bad as an offseason we have seen in Charlotte sports history. But you know what? You get to see Mark Williams. Oh, don't do that. I'll tell you this. I, I do think the Nets have a great chance of surpassing their number of 50.5, but I'm staying far, far away. I mean, I think their near-death experience actually – and the fact that they're back together and the fact Durant is primed to no, keep No, I'm not here great. for this. I'm not but here for no, the, no, 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 I'm not no, here no, for yeah. the hedging on both sides of no, this. No, 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 no. Saying, I'm saying, yeah. well, okay, I think okay, they're going to hit okay, the over, but okay. I could, I'm staying okay. no, away no, no, no. from it. Come for the yeah, stay yeah. away. Come for the stay away. Stay for the actual pick related to the Nets, which is Ben Simmons at plus 4,000 for most improved player in the league. Most, most improved player in the league the top candidates come down to two groups of guys. One is guys who somebody likes, but we have no idea whether they're really ever going to be any better. So down where Ben Simmons is, you got Bones Highland and Darius Garland and Sadiq Bey. Higher ranking than them are players who have already improved, but are going to face a hard time sustaining that level of improvement. So like somebody like Tyrese Maxey, he's already had a season last year where he shot 42% on three. What are you talking? Wait a minute, wait a minute. You're defending your pick on Ben Simmons. So I'm just saying, those are, the guys, those are the guys who clock in at like plus 500 or plus 800 are all guys who the market thinks is going to keep getting better, even though they're probably due for a bounce back. Meanwhile, you can't get in a worse situation than Ben Simmons was last year. And he's looking great in preseason. He's saying all okay. the right things. Plus 4,000. This is the coldest of cold opens right now, Peter. Thank you. Ben Simmons, your back, your backdoor play to support the resurgent yet not, not trustworthy Nets. Ben Simmons, most improved player in the league. The smart move there is to parlay your most improved pick for Ben Simmons with an MVP pick for Ben Simmons, because that is the only way that Ben Simmons, <laughs> who is already an all NBA player and one of the best young players in the league before that meltdown happened, like that is the only way that he is going to win that award being an all NBA player already. Unless he hits a jump shot. First of all, yes. Until he, until not unless he starts shooting more. And secondly, I really don't think you can pigeonhole or characterize what happened to Ben Simmons last season as two words worth of that meltdown. The guy was essentially failed to play his way out of the league. He's coming back boys. He's coming back. Yeah. Unfortunately you're back too. That's right. And scene. Okay. <laughs> the longest call. A little ever. longer than uh, we expected. Oh, stop your whining. You love the picks.